Hello and welcome to the Sleep Teacher Pod, the podcast for all the parents out there who just want sleep. I'm Christy, owner of The Sleep Teacher, and I am joined by my colleague, Beck. If you are in the trenches of sleep deprivation, we see you, we feel you, and trust us, this podcast is going to become your new BFF. We want you to know that you can still be a lovingly attached parent and get good sleep. You don't have to choose between the two. So pop Bub in the carrier, grab yourself a coffee, put those headphones in, because we have all the sleep tips coming your way. Let's get napping, Mama. Hello, everybody. It's Christy and Beck from The Sleep Teacher, back for another episode. This week, very, very excited to have uh, Penny from Sick Happens joining us. Uh, We are going to be discussing all things sickness from teething and how that impacts sleep all the way down to respiratory distress and, you know, when to seek help because I know as a parent it is so hard and sometimes you feel like you could be potentially overreacting or underreacting or yeah like so Penny is going to go through everything with us today which I'm really excited about I wish I could have what about you on speed dial that would be fabulous oh my god (laughs) well I do but (laughs) I don't I don't know the question I'm just more like yeah I do but anyway Um, she loves me yes and you're (laughs) out of that like whether the little babies where you're like oh my god what, what do I have? I know. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Actually, I know even crazy, like Elkie at school this week has a teen talk. Like she's only 10 and they're doing that at school. Like, Is that like sex education or? Yeah, like I think more about. Um, like, yeah, right. <laughs> so fun time. I'm actually like, it's it's today. So I'm waiting. I'm arming myself when she answers my questions. Get, yeah. Yeah. Either that or she'll be like really embarrassed and not yeah. ask. Yeah, okay. Fun times. It's just crazy, huh, how it goes from like, I was saying this to a friend the other day because she said um, her her little ones are now um, five and four and, yeah, so nearly six and four, and she just said um, there was somebody standing next to us at soccer and they had a baby and everything, and she's like, isn't it funny, like, when you're in that, it is so hard to think that what we have now is in sight and it just is literally like, it's. It, I feel like that. There's that whole bit in between the baby and then now we're my like school age kids that just goes so mm. quick and it's yeah. And there's, the days know. just go because it's like school drop off and then like you're back yeah. to pick you up and then yeah it is. But I'm still in the <laughs> toddler. It was like uh, it was yesterday morning. I think like I was yeah. solo and Henry was away and. I had like, it was just one of those funny mornings where they all just want you at the same time. And I was kind of just like, I was trying to put um, Alfie's shoes on and I had like this bug flying around my ear and I was just, I just started laughing because I was like, literally, like, no, I don't laugh now. <laughs> Nothing. I had like, you know, the two-year-old crying because he couldn't do something and then you know, the six-year-olds wanting me to like read him a book or him read him his homework book. And I was just like, oh my God, just breathe. And then, yeah, this little buzz, buzz in my ear from this insect. It was just all, I just ended up laughing. I actually just ended up laughing and like Alfie's looking at me like, what's funny, mum? It's like, I'm just trying not to cry. One of these days you'll understand. One of these days. Oh God. Uh, Well, I think 
on that note, we better get into it. So um, good chat with Penny. Yeah. Can't wait. Hello, everyone. I'm Christy. I'm Beck. And we have the lovely Penny from Sick Happens with us today. Hi, Penny. Hello, everyone. <laughs> For those of our listeners who don't know who you are, and I'm sure they follow along with your amazing Instagram page, Penny is a pediatric nurse and has an amazing Instagram page called Sick Happens. If you're a parent, I'm sure you have seen it. <laughs> Penny has a wealth of knowledge and definitely helps to troubleshoot all those, you know, burning questions that we do have with our little ones. So we're so grateful to have Penny with us today to answer some of those questions. We're going to be discussing some of the questions, I guess, that we get from a sleep perspective, but also from, you know, just a general parenting consensus, because it can definitely be one of those things that you're constantly guessing and you just, yeah, you're never quite sure. So a bit like sleep. Guessing. <laughs> Definitely like sleep. So we're so grateful to have Penny here and we're all going to take something away from this. Would you like to, I guess, give us a little bit of a rundown about your business and what you do on your end? Because we see a lot of your content on Instagram, but how else can followers get in contact with you? Yeah, awesome. I spend a lot of time on the gram. I love it there. There's so much available information that's accessible to everyone, which is awesome. It's like a full-time job, isn't it, Instagram? Oh, gosh. It has been a massive learning curve. Like, I now know why that's a job. Like, it's yeah, and It is. Um, it really is. And we're so lucky we live, like, in a day and age where we have that at our fingertips because you can always find an answer. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's so consuming. And it's confusing for parents as well because everyone yeah. and anyone can put information out, which I think is fantastic. But parents just kind of need to work out who they want to listen to, who suits their vibe, who suits their values, because everyone parents differently and there's nothing wrong with doing I know. that. But I think you just have to use it carefully so that you're listening to people that, yeah, that you vibe with and you're not yeah. getting sort of so much conflicting info. I definitely see that too. Like you'd be like me, like there's, you know, and people send you things from other, I guess you would say competitors, <laughs> like have you seen this? Have you seen what they said? I'm like, you know what? I honestly, and Beck knows this, I do not follow any other sleep consultants. Only purely like I am so encouraged. Great. Like if people message me and say, who did you study through? I want to become a sleep consultant. I'm all for that. Like that is amazing. And I think the more help we have out there and more resources, amazing. But I just like to do my own thing and work and stay in my lane because I know that, yeah, it's confusing and it confuses me too. And I'm like second guessing and it's just nice to stay in your lane and be authentic, I think. So, absolutely. And I'm very particular with that sort of thing. Like, I know when you're dealing with health, there's so many different modalities in health, especially nursing. And I've specialized down into pediatrics again. And even though that that's a very specialty field, there's still so many different specialties within pediatrics. And so I'm very much, I try and treat Instagram and sick happens like I would in the real world. And what I mean by that is that I'm very aware of where my scope of practice begins and ends. And I know where my strengths lie and where I've worked in my expertise. And I will confidently speak on that 
But if it ever falls to a position where I'm like, oh, like I'm not probably the best expert for you here, I will like 100% refer people on. I actually do follow quite a few people in the field because it kind of feel like for us, I can refer people on to speech pathologists or, you know, physios or first aid companies because I don't teach first aid. That's not my area. So I kind of treat it like I'm working in a hospital where I'm like, yep, I can definitely help you with this. I'll refer you on. Yeah, you got your nurse's hat on, not your influencer hat on. (laughs) Right. Like I don't pretend to be an expert in everything and I don't want to be because I can't be. Like that's why I love this sort of thing because sleep, I don't know. Like I can win it and, you know, I seek help if I need help, but it's not my area. Like I don't have the knowledge in that, so I will go to the experts in that if I need help. Well, and that's how we met, yeah? Like I, yeah. you SOS'd me one day, like way before you even had sick happens. And you're like, you worked with my friend. Can you come and help? And I did a home visit, didn't I? Like back when I'd first started and yeah. Yeah, look yeah at, you definitely. Know. We were in a world of hurt. I was actually chatting to one of my friends this morning at school drop-off and I was like, my in-laws came and visited on the weekend and they said, oh, you and your husband seem so happy now. I'm like, yeah, because we're not in that sleep-deprived stage where we were shells of humans. Like we are actually living our best lives now. And it's just, I feel like there's so much comfort in knowing that when you're in that space, when you're not sleeping, your kids are little, it's so hard that it does all eventually get better. It's not forever. It's not forever. Just like everything in your life, it is a phase and you will come out of that phase and you look back and go, Oh my gosh, that was so sweet and innocent when they didn't back chat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, or fight constantly. (laughs) Whinge and demand. But yeah, let's get into it because we have so many questions that have also been sent through to us and Beck and I have come up with ourselves over the last sort of week or so with questions coming in in our DMs and also our clients we're working with as well. So these are like questions that we deal with every day on the job and also, I guess, in our home life as well. From our point of view, sleep perspective, some of the main things we see come up when working with clients, obviously it's inevitable. Someone's going to get sick and that's fine. We always, you know, we handle that with like, we'll have a pause and then we'll, you know, touch back base in a few days and get back on track if they're feeling okay. But one of the main things we see apart from just those common colds is teething. Like teething is a huge one for us. And like, I get it. And it's hard when we're obviously dealing with people whose babies don't sleep well at the best of times. So Teething can just also be something that I wouldn't say like, it's not an excuse, but it's always something that you're trying to find an answer and teething can often be the answer. And more often than not, once sleep sorted, that teething's disappeared. So from our perspective, we always say to a client, like when we're questioning teething, how are they of the day? Are they okay? Is this teething only coming to light at night? Because if so, maybe it's not teething because teething wouldn't just play up at night. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I feel like teething does kind of cop the, it's the excuse for everything. And I say excuse lightly because I feel like parents are just desperately trying to solve a problem. And for some kids, they will teeth terribly and be miserable and absolutely beside themselves. Whereas some kids will just a tooth will pop up and they'll have no idea. Like I think you often have two trains of thought where people are like teething's a myth that doesn't happen, and then you like will try and explain that to the parent where the child is beside themselves. Yeah, there's a spectrum there. But at night, kids actually do get sicker in inverted commas. Yeah, at night, and teething kind of falls into that. Like teething's not a sickness. 
But the reason why kids get sicker or appear sicker at night is for a few things. So number one is there's less distractions. So, you know, they're usually in a dark room or a quiet room. They're not playing. They're not outside looking at the trees. So it can make their symptoms worse because they don't have that distraction. They're zooming in on it. Yeah. So like the pain of that tooth moving around because it kind of comes up and down or if they are sick, all of a sudden they're like, that throat is actually really sore or that snotty nose is really annoying me. So that can actually happen. Also the position that they're lying in. So they're lying down. So Mm. they're either on their back if they're not rolling or if they are rolling around, they're still like on their tummy or on their side or they're moving. So even just the position of lying down can cause more pain because all of the pressures in their head, they're lying down, it can impact their ears. So teething pain can go up into the ears. So you kind of have this multifactorial issue that it makes the symptoms worse rather than, you know, them actually saying, oh, they've been teething for ages. They could be sick. They could be teething. They could be having difficulty falling asleep. Like it's very rarely one thing that's causing those issues at night. It's a bunch of different things. And parents will be like, it's teeth. It's got to be teeth because there's nothing else that could possibly be going on here. And plus teething pain can kind of be fixed. You know, you just give them some medicine and they'll be sweet and you move on. Job done. But it's not actually job done because you can't keep doing that for months on end. what we kind of see. We have these clients that uh, we're having consults with and they have been, you know, for months giving a dose of Panadol and Eurofin every night. At the wake, yeah. Teething. And that's where we kind of be like, okay, well, if we can actually address why you're child's maybe struggling to actually induce sleep and therefore stay asleep that's when it comes to head like okay well they're now sleeping in much longer stretches than when you are waking and giving them Panadol every night which is I guess for us we kind of think that maybe that's not the greatest thing to be doing anyway like giving Panadol every night because of a possible teething issue so it would be kind of like you know when is it to say like okay yeah, you're like, can teething go on for weeks? I kind of feel like if a child's going to be upset for teething, is it actually when that tooth is popping up or is it, you know, the lead up when to that? When dormant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think there's probably a few things where the kids are like waking up, maybe they need a certain, like, you know, you guys talk about sleep associations a lot, you know, maybe they are waking up from pain or discomfort, but then they also have this association of like, I can't go to sleep. I just want my mom. I just want my dad. I want that comfort. And, you know, for some parents that love that sort of closeness, maybe they co-sleep, maybe they are the attachment, you know, it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Like if that's working for you, do you like keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's probably not sustainable for every parent out there, Mm. you know, when you're exhausted. So you're kind of like, okay, well, we can't just keep giving them Panadol every night for months because that's not great for little bodies. It probably doesn't actually solve the problem anyway because, yeah, teeth can move up and down, up and down, up and down before they actually cut through. Now, pain is subjective, so you can't actually say when in that process is the most painful because every person is going to experience pain differently and that's what makes teething so problematic is because we can't actually study pain in children at that age because they don't have the communication or the developmental skills to be able to tell us what's going on. So it's a really complex thing to get into, but I think that, yeah, if you can kind of get sleep 
sorted in inverted commas and I mean that in a way that suits you and your value that's sustainable it can help you work out is this sickness is this pain or is this waking up and not knowing how to fall asleep and that's definitely something like even with my kids like Elkie was ridiculously bad sleeper to begin with because I just didn't know I had no idea so I was constantly saying, oh, she must be sick or she's, you know, is it ease? Is she teething? Like there was always something, but it was never, you know, the fact like, hey, maybe she just doesn't know how to sleep or like maybe she's relying on that bottle. Like that just never came to my mind. But then Hattie and Minka, like they knew how to sleep early on because I was on top of that stuff. And I always knew, I was like, something's not right. She's not well. So it just took that guesswork out for me. But like absolutely, like you were saying, some babies you'll just wake up one morning and a tooth pop through, whereas others it can be quite a lead up. Mm-hmm. I think it's down to your experience too because like, yeah, my three boys didn't have issues teething. Like they just, that's what exactly happened. I'd wake up and they'd have teeth in their mouth and it's like, oh, cool. But I yeah. do know that there are other, you know, children who are much more sensitive to it. So it's such a hard thing to be like, yes, it's teething or like, no. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I think like Penny said, if you are issuing those problems and you're wanting to give Panadol all the time, maybe look at, can we do some things to help sleep in longer stretches and then have a better view of, yeah, is it teeth or is it sickness? And what I guess you touched on before that, you know, you can have the impacts like with the ears and that's like, you know, that pulling of the ears and things like that. Rashes, like the drooling, what are other common signs that people can look out for? Yeah, so with teething, drooling's a big one because they're producing so much more saliva because they're chewing. So children will naturally chew and bite and do everything because that pressure actually relieves the pain in the gums. It can feel really nice for them and it can help break skin if they are trying to like get that tooth through. So that's really, really helpful. So fever is not a sign of That's teething. what I was going to ask you. <laughs> yes. I was on a penny because I worked in childcare and we'd have these babies being dropped off with these high temperatures and the parents are like, oh, they're just teething. And we'd be like, okay then. Ooh, are they though? Are they? (laughs) So teething can definitely elevate the internal body temperature, but it won't cause a fever. So a fever is 38 degrees Celsius or above or 100.4 Fahrenheit if you... What was that, 38 degrees? 38 degrees Celsius or above is a fever. So... Teething can certainly, because our body, internal body temperature will fluctuate throughout the day. It goes up and down and that is very, very normal. So when you're teething, it can still rise the temp, but it won't or it shouldn't go beyond 38 degrees. If it does, that generally means that there's something else going on at the same time. So when we're, you know, because teething can last for months, years, like it takes so long and kids can get up to like 12 viral illnesses in a year. So chances are they're going to be sick and teething at the same time. So even if they do get a fever and they're teething, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden this is terrible, something needs to happen. Like fever is just your child's response to some sort of an infection, inflammation. Generally, it will just do its thing. So you don't need to change your approach to that when they're teething. You just need to look out for other things like is this teething impacting their ability to drink? So are they becoming dehydrated? Are they in such pain that they can't sleep, they can't settle, you can't console them? Like Then that's when you're sort of needing to be looking into other things like ears because when that pressure comes, you know, do they have an ear infection as well? Like There's lots of things that can happen at the same time. 
And so say I'm like, okay, I think my baby has a temp, but saying 38. At that point, is that where you decide to give something like Panadol or Nurofen once it reaches that point? Or at what point do you decide that they need that? Yeah. So no, you don't need to medicate a fever. So a fever is a very natural immune response. They're developing their immune system. So they have a slightly different immune system than an adult does because adults have had time where they've been exposed to illnesses, they've developed memory cells to fight off those infections more efficiently. We also have had more vaccinations usually than kids when they're you know going through their schedule. So children fight with heat. They fight with fever. That's their first response to fighting off an infection, whereas adults generally won't do that. We fight with our memory cells. So you don't have to stop a fever. Fever is okay. Fever is not harmful. It is not damaging. However, there's always going to be other red flags that you need to look out for that make you wary. So the biggest one with that is a newborn. So three months of age or younger, they're very vulnerable, very immature immune systems, kind of like rules don't apply to them. If they have a fever, immediate medical attention. For everyone else, older than that, then you're troubleshooting through all of the other symptoms like difficulty breathing, dehydration, pain, rashes, like all of those other things alongside the fever. Yeah. I know that broken sleep night in, night out, it can build up and it can become a lot. It's hard enough being a parent, let alone a sleep-deprived parent. We understand this and we want to help. We've worked with over 15,000 families worldwide and we have the tools to help you too. Whether it be cat napping, early starts, transitioning from naps, we have the solution and the tools to help support and guide you to a better night's sleep. Don't put up with another night broken sleep. Find the link in the show notes to get started. Is there an easy checklist to sort of say, okay, my baby is dehydrated or getting dehydrated? Apart from the Do you mean like like physically, if we think, oh, they're not drinking as much because they might be a bit stuffed up and, you know, having smaller feeds across all, is there a point where you can be like, okay, they are a bit dehydrated? Yeah. So we tell parents to aim for getting at least 50% of their normal fluid intake and having at least 50% of their wet nappies. So that can be open to interpretation a little bit, particularly if you're breastfeeding and you don't know exactly how much volume they're having. But we basically want them to be having at least half what they normally have. So there is room for flex there when they're sick or they're teething. We know that they're probably not going to drink as much. But the way to make sure that they are getting enough is that they're having those wet nappies. And so If there's a slight reduction in wet nappies, we're kind of like, that's okay, we'll just keep pushing those fluids. But if they're not having at least half their normal wet nappies, that's time to go and seek medical attention. Yeah, okay. And we're probably talking within the age range where some babies aren't having fluids as opposed, like they're not having water as yet. So is there other ways if they're not drinking water yet and then they're refusing to have their breast milk or formula? Are there other ways to try to keep them hydrated? Those hydrolyte things, can you give them to babies or not yet? Yeah, you can. So we normally say six months of age or younger, if they're refusing breast milk or formula, you need to at least see your GP because, yes, you can give hydrolyte, but we want to make sure that you know how to make it up properly, how much to give, and we also don't want to replace their milk feeds. Like That's the most important thing that we can do. 
temporarily, yes, you can switch them to hydrolyte, but we just want to line you up with someone that can monitor your baby really, really closely. If they are over six months, and so maybe they are into solids, you would always offer their milk feeds first. But if they're not wanting those milk feeds, you have a bit more you know, time, you have a bit more freedom to offer other things such as hydrolyte is fine water is fine, diluted juice is fine, watery fruits like watermelon, citrus, like basically all of those things, yogurt, anything fluidy, we would say any fluid is better than no fluid. Yeah. So clearly we don't encourage, you know, to give you six months of apple juice. Yeah. Like we, I don't, certainly don't endorse that, but <laughs> avoiding dehydration is better than, yeah, saying, oh, no, they can't have that. They've got to have this organic mm. monk-made bottle of whatever. No one's got time for that, especially when dealing with a sick baby. <laughs> so give them whatever they'll drink. <laughs> I used to even, like, pop some formula on a washer and then put it in the freezer for a little bit so it got nice and cold and they'd suck on it, like on a piece of cloth as well. It was just nice, especially when they were teething, but it was good for, I don't know, just when they were not feeling well, they liked that. Absolutely. That is fantastic. Ice blocks, frozen formula or frozen breast milk in like the little mesh feeders are good. Even giving them a washcloth to suck on in the bath can be like every little bit helps when you're kind of like tinkering on the edge of being like, do I need to go to hospital or not? Like let them drink the bath water. It doesn't matter. And it's, given they're probably weighed, but that's okay. <laughs> Never. It's fluid, Christy. It's fine. <laughs> oh, no. Now we're going to steer off into like some crazy bear grill. And do you have uh, any sort of hacks for our listeners? I haven't experienced this because my children evidently love medicine and ask for it while they're having it they're like I want some must be the sweetness I think too like (laughs) tastes a lot better than when we were were kids that's for sure Uh, bubs who will or toddlers who are flat out refusing Panadol or Nurofen or antibiotics or you know the medicine that they need yeah you know, we've come across people asking can they put it in you know their milk or I'm assuming there's rules around that so Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So paracetamol and ibuprofen is fine to have mixed in with food or fluid, but you need to make sure that you're mixing it in as small a volume as possible. The only reason why we say this is because let's just say you put it in a whole bottle, you give them like 180 mils and you put the dose in there and they decide halfway through that they don't want to finish it. You have no idea how much they've had. So you can't give them another dose. You still have to wait the designated time before the next dose. And so you just don't know. If you give it to them in a really small amount of yogurt, ice cream, jam, like whatever, it doesn't actually matter with those two medications. That's fine because then you know how much they've had. As for other medications like antibiotics or some others, you do need to just check in with your pharmacist as to whether they can be mixed in with food. You know, some foods can impact the effectiveness of the medication. But most of the time with kids, it'll be okay. I think the biggest tip with young kids is to always use, well, for all children, always use a syringe to measure it out because that's going to be the most accurate measurement. But a syringe can be really helpful for babies because you can sort of aim it to the side of their cheek 
and down the side. And so then they will naturally swallow rather than if you're aiming it straight down the middle, they'll thrust their tongue out and spit it out. So aiming it down the side can be really helpful. <laughs> I think if you're a parent, you've probably experienced getting sprayed with neurofenocellpoint. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I've seen your hack too with the um, like the sprinkles on the teaspoon of medicine. That's really yeah. So when they're a bit older, you can have a little bit more fun with it. So you can measure out the dose and then squirt it on a spoon and then top it with sprinkles and it's fantastic because then it's kind of crunchy too and it looks fun and it's a mm. dream. Another one is you can measure out the dose, pop it in a little cup, get a lollipop, Ooh. the lollipop in the medicine and get them to have like suck it off and have a lick Ooh. and then you just keep doing it. it that one does take a little while. But, yeah. you know, burns time too. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that works. I did do a hack with ice magic where you can mix the medication into ice magic and then freeze it and it's a chocolate button. And that went viral. And the amount of people that were so mad at me for drugging my children was beyond. Oh. But I was oh, like, yeah. look, if you've got, I'm not t- telling you to go take them to the park and hand them out. So, but if you've, this is particularly helpful for those little ones that Girl. have to have a medication every day or we used that a lot when my youngest had tonsils and adenoids out because my boys are like yours. They love medicine. They think it's just the best. Mm. Yeah. When he was having multiple doses every day and he was in so much pain, we really struggled to get it into him. But the chocolate button hack was fantastic. He loved that. He thought it was brilliant. So well, you've got to get creative. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. And you were saying before, which you said kids can get up to 12 viral illnesses a year, which I absolutely believe. Because Only. I feel like my kids really like to achieve their goals that they do get those 12, <laughs> 12 a year. But I think for any parent listening who has a little one at daycare, they probably well and truly know that. Unfortunately, it is just what it is. And we do say that to our clients too. We're like, look, you know, there's not really a lot you can do about that. If your little one has to go to daycare, then, you know, often you do start to find there's those germs coming home or you may have an older sibling going and they start bringing the germs home and passing them on to little ones. Is there anything we can do to prepare for this or anything we can do to avoid them, I guess? Yeah, I feel like people live in a bubble. come to me. Yeah, live in a bubble. I feel like people come and ask me these questions a lot and they're expecting me to give them some magic pill. And I always feel awful when I say that, unfortunately, there is not one yeah. magic pill. But I do also say you just you cannot underestimate the basics when it comes to general health. And the basics are quite boring, but they're boring for a reason because they work. So these are things like making sure that your child's getting as varied diet as possible. And that's because then they're going to be covering all bases with vitamins, minerals, all of their essential nutrients that they need, making sure that they're hydrated, making sure they're getting as much sleep as possible. Like sleep is honestly the best medicine. It is because when you're tired, Everything doesn't work as much. And I know that there's probably so many parents screaming at their phone right now going, I'm trying to get sleep. But as much as you can support their sleep as best as possible and set them up for success is really important. Sunshine, because sunshine is actually one of the only ways we can get vitamin D. Vitamin D is critical for immune health. It is so important. But then I kind of tell parents to do the double whammy. <laughs> double whammy? <laughs> double whammy. Oh, my gosh. 
You need some vitamin D. (laughs) Do I need to get outside. (laughs) But that is actually really important. Getting them outside is so important because that does expose them to a lot of different microbes. Now, I'm not saying that they need to go out and eat dirt, but research has shown that the more kids get outside and get exposed to all the different microbes does actually strengthen their immune system. So it's not just woo-woo, actually very evidence-based. But then the next question that comes from everyone is, well, what supplements can I give? I was going to ask you, you know those gummies? Are they like legit or uh, the immune immunity? Yeah, like the like the ones that yeah, like the kids love, and it's you know fruit and veg and immunity boosting those ones that you get from Coles. Are they onto something there, or is that just like a marketing thing? Mm, probably a marketing thing. Yeah. Look, they're <laughs> in my cupboard. Yeah, there is supplements are fantastic. And if your child is deficient in something, let's just say that they're a really picky eater. My good friend Jamie says, call them cautious eaters. Mm. I think it's a bit nicer. Absolutely, supplements have their place, but they're not this cure-all magic answer that they're marketed as. There's probably no harm in giving your child that, except it's a really expensive way for them to pee out what they don't need. So things like probiotics have got a lot of hype around them and for good reason. There is really good evidence around probiotic use for children in helping them with respiratory illness. However, it is limited evidence because there hasn't really been enough research in the pediatric population and then which specific respiratory virus are you talking about And then which specific strain of probiotic do you need because there's so many different ones. So they're definitely useful, but you probably could get everything you need from diet alone. So I always just say, look, if you're looking into things like all of those vitamins and supplements that support immune health, please just chat to your GP or your pharmacist to make sure that it's appropriate for your child, but then also to save you some money because they are expensive and your children probably don't need it but if they do chat to your chosen healthcare professional because they can definitely guide you down that pathway breaking my heart with the gummies but that's okay i'm so sorry man do you know what if there was something that was going to prevent your kids getting sick i would be creating it in a heartbeat and let me tell you like big pharma would make it and they do but you know it's not actually evidence-based so (laughs) And uh, just quickly on the respiratory stuff, just for anyone, like a little checklist to say some red flags as Bubs is really struggling here to breathe and you should probably, you know, you've got your general colds and stuff, but is there a point where you escalate it to get them seen and help? Yeah, absolutely. I always teach parents that if they're questioning whether their child's breathing is okay or not, is to look if it's, are they breathing faster than normal? Are they breathing harder than normal or are they breathing noisier than normal? So I always say normal because everyone's normal looks different. So if you've got a child that has asthma, you know, their spectrum of normal is probably a little bit different to someone that doesn't have any respiratory issues. So I'm not expecting parents to be able to have all of the clinical definitions for this. I just want you to be able to know when something has different. Do they look like all of a sudden they're breathing really quickly? Are they sucking in 
you know, in between their rib bones or where their rib cage meets their tummy, in front of the throat. Like there's so many different spots on your child's body that you can look at to know what is a sign of respiratory distress. I actually have heaps of videos on my Instagram page and, of course, I go into great detail in my online course with this. And then the third step is, are they noisy? Are they making funny breathing sounds that they weren't doing before? And these are all the big red flags that we look out for to say, yeah, this is time to get my child checked out. Yeah. So just looking, you know, identifying your normal. And I guess that this isn't my normal today. I was told a really good hack from a fellow mummy, and it was to have a video recording of your child's normal breathing. So, because when you're in the moment, you're probably thinking, I don't know if it's normal, like, <laughs> mm. so it can be good to look. And I thought that was a good idea. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I always recommend parents do that so that then they've got that comparison. But the same for like skin conditions, you know, if you're not sure what their coloring is like normally or when they're cold or when they're crying, like, it's always just so great to have those baselines to refer back to, either just to comfort you into being like, okay, this is okay. Or to be like that confidence to be like, no, this is different. Mm. I'm going to get some help. Yeah, cool. Mm. Mm. You were talking about rashes before. We commonly, obviously, with newborns and babies, the non-blanching rash, that's a bit of a, a common term that's sort of thrown around. Is there, and I don't mean in a loose sense, but I mean yeah, just in the parenting realm, can you just go into that a little bit for us, for our mummy listeners, and just yeah, let yeah. us know what to expect with a non-blanching rash? Yeah. So... Very generally speaking, there's two types of rashes. There's a blanching rash and a non-blanching rash. So I kind of like to use the words a disappearing rash and a non-disappearing rash because it makes a little bit more sense if you don't know what blanching does. I never knew what that meant. And I was like, what is blanching? (laughs) Blanching just means temporarily disappear. So Whenever you see a rash on your child, the first thing I want you to do is to press on that rash for a couple of seconds, take your finger away and have a look to see if it temporarily disappeared or not. So if it does do that, that's good. We are kind of like we have time, we can troubleshoot through a bunch of their other symptoms. It's kind of like that's a safer rash. However, if you have a rash that does not disappear, when you press on it, so a non-blanching rash, non-disappearing rash, that is far more dangerous. So that's where we want you to seek immediate medical attention because of the risk of it being something a lot more dangerous like meningococcal or your sepsis. Like There's definitely times when it's not serious, but you don't have the ability to be able to diagnose that safely at home. So any time a child's rash does not disappear, I would always recommend straight to emergency or straight to your closest GP office if you live rurally or remotely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome advice. And your course is honestly amazing. And I bought that for lots of my friends as baby shower gifts, actually, because I just think it's such a thing to have under your belt as a parent because you need to know these things and it really does take the guesswork out of it. I think it's an amazing resource. Thanks. Yeah, it just helps you work out what to look out for and how to stay calm rather than freak out. Like there's so much information online that does freak you out because you just dealt all of the bad stuff. Yeah. Google is the worst. (laughs) Yeah. But there's definitely ways that you can approach sickness without freaking out. And most of the time, 
your child will be okay most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll pop your link to your course, normal or not, in our show notes for all of our listeners as well. But if they did want to get in contact with you, what is the best way? I would email. My DMs are a little bit hectic. So my email is hello at sickhappens.com.au. But definitely go to the Instagram. That's just at sick.com happens heaps of info there even like <laughs> free to dm me but i'm really sorry i'll try <laughs> no you do an amazing job and we're so grateful to have your resources out there very mindful of your time so we will let you go um but thank you so much for coming on penny we are so grateful and i know that our mums and dads listening will be as well thank you awesome thank you so much for having me bye 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 Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Sleep Teacher Pod. We hope you've walked away feeling just that little bit more at ease with your parenting journey. Please remember, nothing is a problem until it actually becomes a problem for you and your family. If you've enjoyed our company today, we would love if you could please subscribe or leave a review or maybe even both. But if you are wanting more sleep tips right away, use the link in the show notes to find out how you can get started with one of our amazing sleep consultants and follow us over on Instagram at The Sleep Teacher. We can't wait to be back in your ears next week with more sleep tips. Nighty night.